I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Friday Podcast. Today's guest is the regular, oft appearing now, Joseph Lamagna. Uh, I wanted to have him on to talk about a little bit of a cleanup on major seasons from the year. Obviously, we just finished the Open. Uh, it was, uh, I, you know, wasn't an exciting tournament, but I think a really quality winner and an underrated story of a winner, a guy really grinding for a lot of years and and getting it done. And I, I don't think anybody can, people could debate how exciting the tournament was. I don't think anybody could debate who the best player um, in the week was. And, and really that's what championship golf's about. Um, anybody that has played championship golf, like you sometimes playing these tournaments where you, look up at the leaderboard and you just wonder how is how is he doing that how how is that person there and i think that was one of these tournaments and it's it's great it was a great display from hoylake that you know he was allowed to do that i don't think um some tournament organizations set up their tournaments for that and i think that that's a beautiful thing that if you're allowed, you're allowed to play that well um, without restraint from from the setup. Um, and I think uh, it good for Brian Harmon. Really, uh, really impressive win, and obviously takes his career the way he's thought of as a player into a whole new stratosphere. And that's a really cool aspect of golf. One week can really change the way that you will be remembered um, as a player. So without further ado, uh, Joseph and I had a nice chat about the top 10 players in golf right now, as well as kind of, I was listening to a podcast during the week, uh, a few days before the open while I was going for a run. I, I'm a huge NBA fan for anybody that doesn't know that. I'm, I'm like an NBA junkie. I listen to NBA podcasts. Um, I like listen to them all year round. So this podcast had the NBA's Evan Wash, who is the executive vice president of strategy for the NBA. And what he talked about uh, with Zach Lowe was the new NBA Cup, which is an in-season tournament uh, the NBA announced that will be rolled out this coming NBA season. And what's so cool about this is it's just, it's adding very, little if nothing it's adding like one game to the NBA season but could have the potential to add significant stakes and make otherwise uninteresting games interesting so i was listening to this and i just like was shocked at all the parallels for golf and i know joseph is an NBA guy so i wanted to talk to him about this and uh yeah i thought it was a fun conversation and we both came up with some kind of uh ways that golf could implement something similar. So without further ado, here's Joseph Lamagna. 
Joseph, you were on uh, for a second straight episode. How about that? Repeat guest. Yeah, it's like Steve Stricker winning comeback player of the year two years in a row, right? Isn't that the <laughs> statistic? Like one of my favorite statistics in sports. So this feels similar to that. I uh, I, I had an idea brewing in my head uh, from a couple weeks ago when I listened to Zach Lowe podcast where he had a um, guy from the NBA on to talk about their in-season tournament that they're rolling out next year, the NBA Cup. And, uh, and then, you know, Garrett had you on. So... I, you know, I had I think I had the idea first, so I think that counts for something. But um, right right before moments before we we record Jay Memo, uh, Jay Monahan or Jay Memo, we could call him Jay that Memo. Hand is good. <laughs> Jay Mo- Monahan drops a memo. You know, uh, Brendan Quinn from The Athletic tweets it out. And uh, there's uh, there's a lot there's a lot of gobbledygook in there. Nothing hugely tangible they're going to replace uh the framework the randall stevenson seat um they're they're making progress on the framework for both benefits for players that stayed and discipline for players that didn't and uh most importantly i guess depressingly very depressingly it makes me not even want to talk about the pga tour i mean after everything they've done recently i i I should probably feel more more strongly that way. We'll have some architecture talk next week. Don't you worry. Um, the uh, he discusses the uh, rollback and says the tour is uh, opposed to it. Does not support the MLR uh, proposition from the USGA and RNA. So quite the news there. Uh, I think for golf fans, that's a big loss. I I mean I agree with you. We've we've done a rollback pod before. I'm pro rollback. I think it would make the game infinitely more interesting. Point I'd continue to make is I think golf's one of the few sports that, as advancements in athleticism and technology, as there have been advancements in athleticism and technology, the sport's gotten less interesting. And that you can't really say that for other sports. They get faster and more complex. And there's, uh, you know, better athletes on both sides of the ball. But this is like the one sport where it just gets duller with advancements in technology so i'm disappointed yeah yeah i mean there's just uh only so much i guess uh i guess the pga tour prefers uh driver flip wedge to driver uh wide array of irons so that is um extraordinarily depressing um from tour leadership and like frankly i just don't think there's a lot of golf iq over there so um let's move on uh the one of the exercise that I wanted to do at the top and uh, we got the majors behind us. I kind of think taking a stock right now is probably the most valuable time to take a little poll, discuss who is the best players in the game before we get into, you know, the FedEx cup playoffs and the, the silly season uh, of golf when, you know, some of our views can get distorted. We're, we're fresh off of, you know, four majors and the players, a, a and and a run of elevated events, and I wanted to get the get your lens. I got I prepared ten players. You prepared ten players. Let's uh, let's run down our list. Top ten players in the game. Uh, who's your number ten? Oh, going ten to one. Interesting. How we well, um, can't go one off the bat. People fast forward through it. That's fair. I would say I went a little major championship heavy uh i do think rewarding i I think that's that's what i think that it's just 
this is what matters now. This announcement from the tour is just going to make that more. So it, if they don't support yeah. the MLR, if they don't support the rollback and three of the other four majors are doing it, it uh, it's just going to make their tournaments less relevant than ever. So, yeah, I, I weighted like big events, especially majors more heavily. And my number 10 is Tyrrell Hatton. He's had an excellent season. Um, really strong year. He's made 10 straight cuts. All of those are top 30s. Uh, made all the cuts in the majors. Three of three of those are top 30s. I mean, T34, T15, T27, T20. Really good, consistent play. Was great at Bay Hill. Good at Arnold Palmer. He's had a really strong year. Very consistent. I've got Ricky Fowler, number 10. Um, I thought he had just a phenomenal year. And I'm I'm not sure how many more years of Ricky Fowler we have. But obviously, he he was a factor um, at a lot of events before he won. Um, one of those, including LAC, uh, included LACC, the U.S. Open. But he was a guy that just kind of hung around a lot in tournaments. Um, and I think you know piecing together four rounds was a, was a challenge for Rick, but he did it at at uh, Detroit. And um, I just think it was a, an incredible year. And I don't know if he'll ever be on this type of list for me again, but it was awesome to get at least one more year of it. That's a great segue. Ricky Fowler is my number nine and want to give him credit for his win at the rocket mortgage. Again, like you mentioned his hanging in there at LACC didn't put up a super strong fight on Sunday, but he's had a great season. He's made 17 of his last 18 cuts in events with cuts. And he's got, 12 top 20s in 17 starts and cut events this year. So uh, really impressive. All right. Number my ninth is uh, Cam Young. He's had a terrible year, um, but I just was very um, impressed at uh, at the open. I think just in terms of talent and if I was in a in a pickup game of golf, and it's, you know, you don't know what golf course it's going to be held at this, this make believe event. Cam Young is on my list because, you know, he showed it at the open. He finished first in strokes gained off the tee. He was the best driver of the golf ball in the field and the best iron player. He finished first in approach. He was the best iron player statistically in the field and best driver of the golf ball. I wrote about this in the newsletter um, or the fried egg newsletter, but I po- posed a question. What players in the world right now could do that, conceivably do that in a major championship? And I kind of settled on three names other than Cam Young. Your thoughts? Well, I am a huge appreciator of Cam Young's game. In fact, I might be more of an appreciator of Cam Young's game than you are based on this list so far. So uh, do you want me to jump to Cam Young? Well, I'm just curious, who who <laughs> do you think... And this is I, I went through this exercise like who do you think and I, there's one name that I left off that I almost put on but who could lead a major championship in those two categories for sure I'd say Scheffler Rory and Rom could mm-hmm. I believe Victor Hovland could that was the one that I, I left off that I kind of was like eh, I probably should have put him on there in maybe Brooks like maybe Brooks I, think I don't Patrick think he can win like... off off the tee he couldn't lead off the tee it's unlikely it's unlikely um i think like a patrick cantlay could but um much less likely no no i don't think so you're purring over there yeah 
We got Patrick Cantley on a on a milk carton in majors. It's just the least relevant big name player in majors, and and that's why he's not on my list. Well, uh, that's a good. You're you're doing an excellent job with these segues because Patrick Cantley is number eight on my list. He had a solid performance in majors this year. Never was in contention. He finished top twenty in three of them. Tied for 33rd in the Open. That was his worst uh, finish in a major this year. He has only missed two cuts this calendar year. He's got a bunch of top fives. I think Patrick Cantlay deserves a lot of credit, even though his major championship track record is not strong. Still have a lot of respect for his game, and, and this is not an exercise fully restricted to majors, so I believe he belongs in the top 10 for overall top 10 players in the world. All right, I I I can deal with that. I wonder who who my guy in here that's like way over yours is, um, but I guess we'll find out. I got Morikawa at, at at eight. That was my eleven. So I just I think that he's still very. I think in a way he's almost undervalued. Um, at like there's not a lot of Morikawa hype right now. He's twenty six. He's got two majors. Um. He's still the best approach play player on tour. And I think that is a, a really big asset. And and I think like it hasn't been a great year for him, but I I don't th- if this is the bottom, it's a it's a pretty high floor. And I don't know if if you'll have many years worse than this going forward. I am with you. If if it, I, I was a little more short termed, I guess, and kind of evaluating 2023. Uh, but if you ask me who's going to have a better year next year, Colin Morikawa or Tyrrell Hatton, I would take Colin Morikawa. So I'm with you on that. I think we're going to have pretty similar lists here, Andy. All right. Who's who's up next? Number seven is Xander Shoffley. That's who me. I have, too. I think talking about Xander and Patrick Cantlay, everyone does it, like where they group them together. And I think it's appropriate. I have always viewed Xander Shoffley a little bit more positively than Patrick Cantlay. I think he's just a little bit better. He's finished top 20 in all four majors this year. Extremely consistent. He's made every single cut this calendar year. He's got a runner-up, some other good finishes. He played excellently at match play, finished T5, but was very solid that entire week. Xander Shoffley's been a really good player this year. Um, I guess one question I have, a follow-up question is, is would you rather play golf and get dinner with Xander Shoffley or Patrick Cantlay? Uh, I, I think Xander sometimes doesn't get enough credit for how good of interviews he gives and he can be pretty candid and let it rip a little bit. He's got a little edge to him. So does Cantlay in, in maybe a different way, but I'd enjoy a, a dinner with Xander Shoffley. Yeah, I think, I think I'd pick Xander too, you know, a round of golf and, and dinner. If, you, if you're at a pro-am, that's how I would go. You know, if you're, if you're Xander's, bidding on Xander's that. a cool guy. I, um... I feel like his it's kind of like a crazy major career, right? Where he's gone effectively like backwards. Um and his majors weren't terrible this year. He, you know, T17, T10 at the at the uh US Open, T18, T10. So, two top 10s. He was in the top 20 in every every major. I don't think that's a failure year. All right. Uh so who's up at 6? This is where I have Cam Young, and I've been adamant he's a top five player in the world, so I could have put him fifth here. There was somebody I had to give a slight edge to, but I do believe Cam Young is a top five player in the world. 
He almost won two majors last year. Can he's had a really bizarre year where he was lights out at Dell match play. And he was good at the masters. He was in contention for a while and then went through a slump, really got it back at John Deere. It looked like, and then the open championship this year kind of slaughtered at T to green and was in contention for a while. I think cam young going into next year, top five to six name in my mind. He's got to win once. He will. He said he doesn't have many opportunities. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he won like in heaps uh, in college golf too, like his senior year. He had kind of like a similar, he won a ton as a freshman and a senior. It was uh, kind of like a, a weird career. Uh, he had some injuries and other things. So um, I, I'm curious, you don't have Cam Smith on your list. I don't have Cam Smith on my list now. I got him. I got him here. Um, okay. Two, I, two top tens and majors. We just haven't seen him very much. Um I bet if he was playing a, a PGA Tour schedule, he'd probably be a better player. Um, I don't think that Liv has been good for Cam Smith's game, but I still really value. I think like like one of the things I think about a lot is like if tournaments kept going, what would happen? Like if 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 a tournament was five rounds, like if if the U.S. Open was five rounds, I think Cam Smith would have had a very good chance to win, right? Um, and the, you know, I think like certain players go certain ways and he was somebody going up in that tournament, but he's not playing on a competitive tour. Um, and I like, I think him and Brooks are, uh, aren't built the same Brooks, like treated the PGA tour effectively the same way the live tour is right. He treated it as a place to go practice, um, not a place to go try and win tournaments. And I think, Cam Smith probably has been negatively impacted by Liv. And if I, I still think he's one of the six or seven best players in the world uh, at this point. So I have him here. He had two top tens, even in a bad year, you know, and I think that says something. Also, Augusta is a really good fit for him. So he's, he's always going to be pretty comfortable in at least one major a year. So he's got that going I mean, for him. The uh the yeah and LACC was great for him. I don't know how for next sure. year shakes out. It's uh right a little dire. It's hard to put somebody in the top six for me that's can be very shaky. T to green his chip his short game's unbelievable, but like he can get squirrely. So I I don't feel as good about him as I feel about Cam Young. I was kind of mad that I talked myself into him at Liverpool because like when you watched it, it was like oh this isn't a fit. <laughs> this is not a good fit at all. You want me to go to five? Yeah. I got Victor Hovland at five. Um, Same here. Incredible year. Finished, was in contention at the Masters, obviously. Finished seventh. Second at the PGA. Gave that a good run. He's just been so super solid. He hasn't missed a cut since the Scottish Open of last year. And I knew he was doing a little speed training. I'd heard that at the end of last summer. I probably should have been higher on him coming into this season. He's been spectacular. And it does seem like there's a legitimate... Uh, advancement in his short game still have concerns on the chipping sometimes off tight lies but overall he's looked much better and, and much more comfortable around the green so really hard to be i mean I, I, there are a couple names i have ahead of him but i think victor Hovland's somebody to watch every week i think he is the guy that has taken the leap this year where he's categorically in a different class of player than he was yep. at the beginning of the year. I think he would have, if we were doing this exercise, he would have been a fringe, you know, nine to 15 spot guy. 
um, on, on this type of list at the beginning of the year. He's now, to me, like one of the most well-rounded players. The chipping is still a weakness, but I think like the thing that is great about it is like chipping is technique really oriented, right? Like there's some feel, you know, there's special feel with Cam Smith and Phil and players of that ilk where they just have hands that other guys don't have. But like for Victor Hovland, there's such great um, ability to improve just simply by better technique. And that's easy things to shore up. And it seems like he's, he's, he's very aware of his weakness, things that are holding him back and, and addressing them. And I think that's like the cool thing to watch. Um, and it's a, it's a subplot of like this, that class that he, they weren't all the same age, but it was Matt Wolf, Victor and Morikawa. And it's just a fascinating, I find when guys go out in the same age range and they are, you know, they all turn pro at the same time. Matt Wolf was the was the talk of the town. Then it became Colin Morikawa. And right now I feel the best about Victor Hovland's game long term of of the three. And it's just an amazing little thing about how these careers have been flow. And it's always a reminder who's the best player at 22 isn't going to be the best player at 26 isn't going to who's the best player at 26 doesn't guarantee who's the best player at 30. Everybody has these different trajectories. People improve in in slow incremental growth. Certain players can go through leaps and bounds. And Victor Hovland is a very um, fascinating and and exciting improvement story from 2023. His putter's been so solid too, Andy. Like with given how accurately and long hits the driver. He's really smart with how he manages his, himself around courses. Iron plays good. The putter's good. Like, it's hard to imagine too many bad weeks. And obviously, he hasn't missed a cut in a year. So that that's kind of putter. Obvious. The putter seems, and this is without any stats, but like this is just from watching him. The putter seems really solid inside four or five feet. He looks so good at Augusta with his putter. I, yeah, I have a lot of confidence when Victor Hovland's standing over a five footer. Yeah, I, and I think that's like. I think that is another aspect of his game where you might have been a little lukewarm on him when he was coming out. But, you know, if he if he if he's just above average, if he could get to average and above average, if he's uh, average and above average in the round and on the green stats. He's going to be a scary guy to deal with for years to come, because I don't think I think the long game is so undervaluedly good, right? Maybe. I don't know. I think most people, I don't know if it's undervalued. He's been, really I think strong. the driver, the driver is where I think everybody knows him as a good iron player, but the driver is so good. Yeah. He, he's exceptional. All right, let's take a quick break and talk about our sponsor Ors and Alps. Uh, this is a new sponsor. They have great men's skincare products. I had uh, I had been familiar with the brand before, but I hadn't tried their their products, and I wasn't aware of the wide suite of products that they have. So Orzen Alps was founded by two women uh, with husbands that like to spend a lot of time outdoors. I think every golfer is a person that likes to spend time outdoors. You know, with 
with the combination of sun, sweat, wind, uh, it can really have a bad impact on your on your skin. And most men's skincare products are full of bad chemicals. And you know, my wife will com- regularly look at the things that I bring home and be like, "Why are you putting this on your skin?" So uh, they have sunscreen. I'm a big fan of the spray. Uh, Brendan, who I do the shotgun start with, is a huge fan of the clear stick. But I've also started to use their face wash as well as their moisturizer. And uh, that's been great. So they, I mean, this could be your one-stop shop for everything that goes really in your toiletry bag except for uh, toothpaste. Uh, to my knowledge, they don't do toothpaste. So check it out at oarsandalps.com slash fried egg. And if you use the code egg15, you'll get 15% off. So that's oarsandalps.com slash fried egg. And use Egg15 to get 15% off. This is great stuff, and uh, I really recommend it. So now back to Joseph. All right, four. I got Brooks at number four. Um, That's what I got, too. Our top yeah. five might be the same. It's probably the same. I've there's no player I've gotten wrong more often in his career than Brooks Kepka. I was never high enough on him during his dominant run. And then I thought his career was shot coming into this year, which to be fair, maybe he did too. It sounds like based on some of the things he said in interviews, he wasn't sure he was ever going to get back to elite form. But once I saw what I saw at Augusta and I remember you texting me during the masters, something to the effect of like Brooks, Brooks looks good. And I kind of had to go round. back to some of those majors and realize like this is this is one of the most dominant players in the world when he's on. I watched I watched like nine holes of a practice round. It was him, Rory, and Gordon Sargent. And you know, it was it, I think the thing in, in people talk about this, but there is like a certain mark of a player when you just see them over the course of a sustained nine holes or, you know, 18 holes when they don't miss a yardage on an approach shot. And at that moment, after like the front nine, I kind of was going back through it. I was like, God, he hit every single approach, the exact right number. You know, it was, it was a five to 25 feet, you know, kind of circle around the hole that he was just, and it was like, you know, I think the crazy thing about Brooks too, is like, I'm not, I don't think his driver is as big of a weapon as it used to be. Like, I still think he's a good driver of the golf ball, but I don't think he is like a very, a really great, like, you know, you watch that group and obviously Gordon Sargent is super long, but Rory was like consistently 30 past him, 20, 20, 15 on uphill holes, you know, like 20 past him. And it's just, you know, I feel like that was once a very dominant trait of his game, but he, everything else, the short game when it's working, the putting, I mean, Brooks, Brooks Kepka when he's rolling in a major over a 10 footer is it just like, it doesn't feel like it's ever going to miss. Um, and it's, it's just such a, it's just such a crazy career. I mean, the guy's got five majors. <laughs> what has he got? 11 wins, 12 wins, maybe. Total? And he, he's close to having a couple more majors. I know. I I mean, that's but crazy. Like how how few wins he has? Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unlike almost any other career. He has he has uh, 
nine PGA Tour, and obviously he's not on the PGA Tour. He's got 18 professional wins total, and five of them are majors. I mean, that includes like challenge. It includes includes four challenge tour wins, the two live wins, two Japan tour. So let's let's just take away the the six. Excuse me, I don't want to. I'm I'm going to leave the live wins just so the live bots don't come at me. If I take away the challenge tour, which is a mini, it's a developmental tour, and the Japan tour, we're at we're at twelve wins, and five of them are majors. It's insane. And and honestly, for a while, I didn't believe in the like, oh, he elevates his game for majors, but then plays terribly. Like, but it's it is clear to me that he's actually doing that, which is a little bit nuts to think about that he can turn it on and off like that. But I really do believe he can. What would you take uh, six and a half over under majors for Brooks? I think I'd take the under. I do too. I, I they're so it's hard. So get. hard to win. I I figure like there's he's obviously had the health bugaboo and he's 34. I don't have his age in front of me. Let's just say he's got six years till four. He's 36. So he's got seven, six years. He'll probably turn 34 in the time till the next major, but he's got six years. Let's just say four of them are healthy. He's got 16 really good chances left. I, I wouldn't say that five years from now, those will even be, yeah, four, five years from now, those will be great chances. Like we'll see. But again, if he wins nine, I'm not going to be shocked. I, I just would take the under on winning two more. What's Hovland's over under if I set it at 1.5? Like it's always tempting to take the over, but you you just always have to remember Adam Scott has one major. The game changes so quickly. Like I would take the under. Yeah, I think I'd take the under. Um, All right. Who's your number three? I'm curious. This is probably the spot where we could be different. I sort of have him listed as two and a half anyway. So I've got Rom here. I do too. I think he would be, I think he'd be insulted if he was here. If he, if he, if he listened to this pod, I think he'd be insulted that he's number three. It's pretty recency bias. And again, I was looking at this a little more evaluating their 2023, but I mean, yeah, he won century Amex riviera the masters and he almost won mexico he got kind of close gave it a run at the open championship it's really hard for me to argue that he's not as good as rory but it's they're kind of two and a half yeah i'm in the same boat i i think some of the things that and i know rory missed the cut at at um at the masters and bombed out but something about the 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 oak hill in the in the LACC performances, and I know that LACC ended up being like a backdoor top ten, like the backdoor of all backdoors. Um, but something about those two performances just kind of left me a little sour. It, it not like a li- is I'm very little sour, right? When I was looking, talking when Ram I was now. thinking about yeah. yeah, when I was talking talking Ram, when I'm looking at these two, like I just. I feel like there's just a level of consistency and it might just be that Rory's driver is so good that it, 
you know, and I know Rom can can drive the ball as well as Rory um, and could drive it better in a given week. But I don't know if he drives it as well week in, week out, especially major championship week, week in, week out. And I think like, you know, you just look through and he's younger, right? He's he's way younger. But like, especially if you zoom out to the last eight, you know, majors, he has a win, which Rory doesn't. He has a second, obviously, from uh, uh, what's it called? The the open. But you, you look at it and it just isn't as good. Right. It's just it's the margins. It's the small things that are are you know what you're what you're deciding for or deciding on here um, with these two in 2022 no top tens and then and then this year you know the T50 at Oak Hill and in the back really really backdoor top ten at uh, at U.S. Open. For the record, not this year because he's been a little down, Rom. But overall, I would take John Rom's driver over Rory's and that I know that sounds crazy to people but John Rahm hits the ball appreciably straighter than Rory not this year but generally like he is more on target and I would take John Rahm's driver in 2025 if you if you made me guess two years out I'd rather have John Rahm's driver than Rory's all right um so we both have number two Rory I mean I don't know. I don't know what he has to do to get a major done. I mean, like that's uh it's kind of the looming the question in golf. I feel like it's the biggest story in golf, really. I agree with you. And it was a couple tidy shots like around the greens at LACC, in my opinion. Two on Saturday and one on uh Sunday, that three putt on number eight. Technically three put on three put on uh three put. on thirteen too on Saturday. Yeah. It's like yep. Little things win majors. So that's kind of where I land. I mean, there's not... I thought there was a lot to chew on in 2022 for Rory. Like, oh, kind of blew that one. This year, I I think he just played solidly, didn't quite get it done. There's there's not as much for me to react to. I think he played solid. Yeah, I think he was bad in the first half of the year, too. That, like, very below his par um, for for golf and uh you know he got appreciably better as the season i i think like that's the other tough thing about golf right it's about it's kind of it's it's different than tennis in a way like the best players in tennis are always the best players right like djokovic like obviously they do things to peak for the majors physically and stuff but and and there's you know there's hot hands in tennis but not as much as golf. Like golf, if you're, there's a lot more variability in your performance day in, day out. And um, a tough thing about golf is like sometimes you can be fighting it in the weeks that you don't want to be. Um, sometimes you play your best golf of your career when it matters the least, like Hideki Matsuyama, um, you know, six years ago when he won whatever, was what it? I think four of the four of six tournaments in, in November and December went on just like a crazy heater. So good. It's, I mean, I don't know what, what happened there. I mean, the putter is never great, but I think the, the, the game changed too. Like more guys, more guys hit it the way Hideki hit it, hits it now, you know, it, it, but yeah, Hideki is, you know, He's still a great major championship player. I think this is the thing with like 
not to go back to the tour and talking about the with the the golf ball. I was just about to go there. But like Hideki Matsuyama is like a perfect example of like the brand of tour golf is just not for him. He plays very well in major championships still. I think if you if you if you charted him out as a major championship player, he's a top 20 player, maybe top 15 week in week out on a major schedule and he's ranked 29th in the world. You know, like that to me like it doesn't cross, right? Yeah, the driver can be inconsistent. The putter always is scary. So when you have multiple holes in your game, it's it's tough to compete with the golfers who don't, right? Like Scotty Scheffler has one right now. I mean, look at Xander. Xander's got like basically no holes. He's just not elite, elite in any of them. Yeah. Uh, should I go to number one? Is it uh, Brian Harmon? It's Michael Block with Rory's length. Uh, no, I've got I've got Scheffler. I think that's a no doubter. Nineteen straight top twelves before the Open Championship. If you, I think I'm including the hero there. And one one stat I thought was interesting, Andy. He has gained strokes both off the tee and on the approach in 21 straight golf tournaments. It's pretty good. Better it's pretty than crazy. better than feel better than field average. It's kind of like a Tiger stat, right? That's that's nuts. Yeah, he um, he's unbelievable. I mean, I thought he, I thought he was gonna ride back up the leaderboard to get like a t t nine. Um, you know, he got in the top twenty five. Now you can adjust that stat. Like he hasn't finished. I like it's very likely he goes the entire calendar year without finishing outside the top twenty five. Which is he better go thank that bunker on eighteen at Hoylake for one of the craziest ways to make the cut I've seen in quite some time <laughs> with like a little ricochet off the top of it. Yeah. And his 36th hole to make the cut on the number. Yeah. Um, all right. Fun exercise. If you had to, uh, if you had to guess, if we do this next year, if you had to guess two players that'll drop out, who would you guess? Hatton? Yeah, I would, I would pick Hatton and Fowler. I think, yeah, I'd probably go. That's hard. It's a hard question. I mean, these, this is the thing. It's like JT would have been in the 10 last year. You always like look at these things and think like, oh, nobody's going to drop out. These guys are locks. Like, you know, maybe Will Zaltoris comes back in here. You know, maybe JT comes back in. And there's probably th- likely three players that will drop out. Fitzpatrick I, is Fitzpatrick's kind of your guy, your bo- your sneaky. boy. I thought I thought Fitzpatrick had a good chance of finishing this year in the top five, and he hasn't been excellent. So, yeah, it happens. I think I think it's hard for Fitzy to concentrate with what's going on with the Northwestern football program hanging over his head. It's probably so, yeah, it's probably true. It makes you wonder if he knew anything, and that's why he left after a semester. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah if i had to pick three two or three from mine it'd be it'd be ricky um god it's hard to say morikawa but maybe and i don't i guess cam smith ricky because cam's gonna be playing on live i don't think it's good for his golf game and um and uh xander if i had to pick a third 
All right, let's take another quick break to talk about our sponsor, AG1, uh, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Um, I drink AG1 every day. Uh, I gave it a try just because I wanted to get more healthy this year. It has really helped me achieve that. Uh, this is your one-stop shop. It's going to get you all your nutrients, your the different things that you need your body. It's going to increase your energy, your focus. Um, you're just going to feel better, and it's going to have a huge impact on your gut health. I think that's one of the things that I've noticed the most. Um, I It's part of my routine. It's, a, it's, it's made me get into other healthy routines, which has been the best part. Um, so it's a uh, science-driven formula of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. And um, AG1 is raising the standard for quality in the supplement category. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Those travel packs are awesome if you're somebody that travels um, and takes this. They, you know, they're super small, easy to bring with you everywhere. I've taken them all over the country this year. So if you want that, go to drinkag1.com slash the fried egg. That's drinkag1.com slash the fried egg and check it out. Now back to Joseph Lamania. All right, let's move on. This will be this will be a little bit different conversation. All right, um, the NBA Cup. I wanted to break this down. So this is big news. I just think the thesis is golf should be paying attention to this. Professional men's professional golf should be paying to attention to what the NBA is doing here, because I think there are a lot of when you listen to them talk about the NBA Cup, there's a lot of applicable stuff to golf. All right. So the NBA Cup is a in-season tournament, and it is mostly in the beginning of the season. It is in this part of the season that really matters the least that has the least amount of juice night in, night out. Um, You know, think about the tour just in this lens. There are a lot of tournaments without juice. Um, So this this, uh, is... All these games are going to be like regular season games, but they are deemed tournament games. So every team, it's like a World Cup type setup. There are six groups of five teams, and you know, they play each other in round robin format and the winner of each group advances. And then they have two second place finishers that advance. Also, um, they have all these ca- tiebreaker categories that doesn't matter for this conversation. These tournament nights, they're deeming them tournament nights take place every Tuesday and Friday from November 3rd through the 28th. Um, the only NBA games played on tournament nights will be these group games, these tournament games. So they're regular season games that would otherwise just be November regular season games. You know, the Pelicans versus the Hawks. But now it's going to be a tournament game. It's going to be a round robin type game. Um, what What's in it for the players? There's a cash bonus if your team wins the, the NBA Cup. So... Once they they get these eight teams, there's there's eight teams that advance. 
there'll be, you know, single elimination in these games in Vegas. Um, and they'll do these special games and then the winners get, get paid out. Um, so really I think like the, they wanted to add some sort of in season tournament in the NBA. They wanted to add like, you know, some interest in this dead part of the calendar. And they also wanted to give reasons for people to play. So think about that for the tour. The tour needs to incentivize the big name players to play just like the NBA needs to incentivize teams to play their big players and not load manage them. So these games, so that's kind of the basis of this. And it got me thinking when I was listening to this podcast, the Zach Lowe podcast, um, it was with Evan Wash. Uh, it was, it was about two weeks ago. If anybody wants to go listen to it. Um, when I got thinking about this, I just was like, wow, like these are the types of ideas that golf needs to have to complement its four round 72 hole slog, like things that sit on top of golf without adding work or burden that make it more interesting, add storylines, add points of emphasis throughout the season. So this this opened up a lot of ideas for me. Joseph, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, well, first off, credit to the NBA. And this is not the only time the NBA has done something like this, right? It, this, is, this is all about incentive alignment. This is what we've talked about on previous pods, why the FedEx Cup point system doesn't work and how it's incongruous with some other incentives. This is all about incentive alignment. The NBA realized teams were tanking. They changed the NBA draft rules a little bit. They added a play-in team into the playoffs. They're constantly thinking about incentive alignment, so golf needs to do the same. I'm really excited to see how this works for the NBA. And Andy, I, I have like two rules I have in my life are that I don't like to make decisions at night, and I don't really like to talk about an idea I had the day I had it because often it looks really it feels stupid a couple days later. But I had an idea like two hours ago on this topic and i would like to present you with how the pga tour could do this and it might end up looking really stupid all right well th listen i think like the thing that i found i the thing i appreciated the most was they had this nba guy he's like i think he's the vice president of strategy executive vice president of strategy right he is a high up guy in the nba and he came on this podcast and he's like we hope it works. We aren't sure it's going to work, but we're trying it because we want to move our product forward. Like that needs to be the philosophy of every sports league because you need to keep evolving. You cannot allow your product to get stale. You can't allow your organization to get stale. And nobody should know this more than the PGA Tour after and, recent and events. The NBA isn't fundamentally changing their core product. No. The, the regular season games, you still play 82. The teams that end up in the finals, I think, just play one extra. I think they end up playing 83 in their season. But they're not fundamentally distorting what it means to win the NBA finals. You don't get an extra playoff win or anything like that. They didn't change the product. They just enhanced it. I think that's worth calling out. All right. So what, tell us your idea since you... <laughs> I, I hope that I don't wake up tomorrow and think like wow that was very stupid but i'm 
I'm thinking this out. It's half baked, and the podcasts are built for half baked ideas. If people, I hope this is a starting point, and we can let the idea evolve. So, what what I will the only preface I will say is this isn't fundamentally changing the tours product. It lives within the designated event framework. Okay, so all right, I'm gonna start with that. I currently 50 players are exempt for designated events, right? That's with a plan for next year. So I'm changing it just a little bit from 50 to 48. If you finish in the top 12, you're a team captain and you draft and you draft one player between 13 and 24, one, and then one of the next blocks of 12 okay so you have you have you have 12 teams of four correct basically an a an a b c d player from last year's top 48 Just and there's like some drama at a club and there's some drama because they do the draft so and they could somebody could tank into a different flight too you know if they all of that's in play and i'm not gonna have by the way i'm not gonna have fedex cup playoffs anymore we can get to that but i'm not gonna have those anymore <laughs> Well, you, the, now you're fundamentally changing. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I promise. I'm not. I'm getting there. There would still be a tour championship, just the top eight guys, but okay. Then in designated events, they're going to pair players with a member of the other of another team. So all 12 teams, we're going to have fields of 72, which is not different than now. They're planning to have 70 to 78. So we're going to have fields of 72. That means... 48 of them are coming from the teams, 24 more from off the team. So in the threesomes that you that you pair them, it's going to be the one the A player from one team with the A player of another team and then a guy between 49 and 72. Does that make sense? A, a, you know, a bench guy. Laurie Cantor. Right, who's not on any of the teams. <laughs> and in the Thursday and Friday rounds, just the Thursday and Friday, if you beat that player, you get a point for your team. And if you beat them by f- maybe three or something, you could get like two points. But it builds in a little competition into the Thursday and Friday rounds. It's stroke play. It's not match play. So it, it already it lives within the existing tournaments. And you know if I'm Rory McIlroy and I'm paired with John Rahm, like, hey, if I beat him today, my team gets a point. If I lose to him, Rahm's team gets a point. And then at the end of the season... You take the top four teams, they get seeded. So the 1-1, one, one, the, the best player on the best team plays the fourth player on the fourth best team. And you do a match play bracket with all 16 guys, and that's the team final. That team wins $15 million or whatever. That's the team final. How would the team match play work with an even number is my one, one of my questions. It's top four teams are sending four players. So you have a bracket of 16 guys at the end. Okay. Oh, I see. And it's individual match play. Yeah. And anybody from your team wins, your team wins. Exactly. And it's unlikely that it would end up the final being teammate versus teammate because it it could happen, but you have have them spread out into the top four corners. So it's it's very unlikely. And and at that point, they're still super, these guys are super competitive. Exactly. Exactly. And this doesn't, so it wouldn't, 
it would add layers into the Thursday and Friday rounds. You know that that's going on. So the designated event on Thursday and Friday feels special. You're tracking all of that. And there's 12 teams. So you could do something like, this won't pertain to the majors. We're not going to do it in majors. But 12 events, 12 designated events, plus the four majors, it's a 16-event schedule. You could do something like that. And maybe each team can like pick a home site. Hey, we want to play this at TPC Scottsdale. And each team hosts one. Something like that. I'm just throwing an idea out there. Hey, it's a it's a it's a neat little bridge to team golf without you know having like to add events. I think that's the tricky thing, right? You know, there's a a lot of great ideas on how the tour can evolve, but you know, it it involves players going away from the core events, which is a problem, right? My idea was more for silly season events. Um, my thought, not silly season events, but just parts of the year with how they could do this. Okay. And you're going to hate this. I I'm just saying if we live in a world where the tour championship can't be changed, this is just an idea. Um, my thought is you break the season into portions and those tournaments, you get effectively like points. They're, they're little mini circuits within the tour schedule. So you could take this entire silly season, the entire fall, and you have a, a points list, right? Um, some sort of format where everybody that plays is in. In you could even use the FedEx Cup points. I don't. I don't care. It's a concentrated area. I would. I would advise a different point system and a better one than the FedEx Cup points because it's hard to you know understand. But. Um, you use this point system and you bonus the winner a spot into the tour championship. So then you go, you go like uh still entire fall schedule spot into the tour championship, West coast swing spot into the tour championship. Like, and you create these small things. There could be cash bonuses too. basically you create these different swings. The Florida swing is its own one. Um, with maybe you throw in a, another Southeast tournament there or a couple Southeast tournaments you get, you know, and, and you create these qualifiers in different ways into the tour championship ways for guys to bypass it. But also like it emphasizes these like parts of the schedule add storylines. It's like this guy's sitting out, this guy's going to play, you know, like actually he was going to sit out, but he's adding this event to this calendar. Cause he could, he could, he could win this if he plays well, just ways to add gamification and more stakes throughout golf that, that just create storylines in weeks. There aren't storylines. You, we like the John Deere, the, you know, a lot of these events have delivered. There's been great golf this year, but like, this stretch is a perfect example. Like John Deere, Minnesota, Detroit, like they have trouble attracting players, but like for somebody, you know, Justin Thomas is playing. This is a perfect example. Justin Thomas isn't qualified for the FedEx cup playoffs and he's playing to get in, you know, like this Minneapolis would never get Justin Thomas up there to play the week after the open. But when you create stakes, it's really good for golf. And when you create more qualification things, I always enjoy the open qualifying series stuff, but like when you create these qualification things, it really adds to the broadcast because there's more than one story to follow. I agree with you. I don't know why you think I'd hate it, but 
because, I, of, because of the tour championship spots. Well, then would you be open to maybe those being the only tour championship spots that are given out? And it's just the winner of the four seasons or the two winners, two top winners of the four seasons and the tour championships is eight guys. I mean, that's a fascinating idea, right? You know, but it, I don't, it's your different you know. season champions together. I mean, it would be, it'd be very controversial because then like, what if Scotty doesn't win one or Rory doesn't win one, right? What do you play better? What are you, what are we doing here? I just am saying like you could be, you could be what you could be one of the best without winning a, a specific part of the season. If that makes sense. So what we're not even, it's not even a season long tournament anymore. It's the, it's the season of seasons champions. We're fundamentally, I guess, changing the, the league. Well, you know, you're going to have to talk to FedEx about that. <laughs> and what would you do with the majors? Would those be integrated within the seasons? Are they separate? I mean, I like what I just used it within the framework of the FedEx Cup uh-huh. of like, hey, you know, like you can get your birth locked up into it, into the final, because that's what matters. Like, you know, in terms of what matters for players on tour, it's like keep your card. And then the other goal is be to make east like right so why don't you make making east like an integrate like be able to earn it in different ways if it matters so much because that adds like that is fundamentally the goal of like almost every guy out there is to make east like outside of you know the elite elite class so if that is what everybody's striving for you talk about like aligning um alignment right that's what all these players care about gear your your season and the rewards of the season around that right and that's how you make things more impactful for both the players because like players will go out of their way to lock that up because they know they have their card locked up and they're in every tournament they want the next year right that is a huge deal to get it done and get to east like so incentivize players with it right like hey if you win this like series like the sponsors will love it i mean think about it they probably could sell the sponsorship for the last spot in all these rotations for more money because it's more significant like it it just creates bigger moments within your like gloated bloated gluttonous schedule that needs to be reduced but this is actually like this is the same thing with the nba like the NBA has this load management issue and they need to, the, the best thing they could do is reduce games, but you can't because then your, your, your revenue is going to reduce, right? Like no owner wants to give up five home game ticket sales, beer sales, all that stuff, the revenue, the TV money from those. This tournament was created as a way to make more games matter in the regular season, Right. The tour has the same problem, but they're with regular events, right? Their problem lies in the Honda Classic, the Valspar, the, you know, it's not, they're, they don't have a problem with Riviera or the players or, you know, Wells Fargo to, to a lesser extent. They have problems with their events that nobody cares about. How do we make those more interesting? And this is a way to do it. That's a very simple way to do it too, right? Like it wouldn't require, that's an easy switch to turn on if you just determine how many spots it's worth. So I like how practical it is. Yeah. So that's my idea. I think this is just something to watch. I just think 
the tour should be paying attention to this because it has a lot of applicable aspects of what they're these problems that they're trying complex problems they're trying to to solve with solutions so i think like you know when we think when we talk about the pga tour the things they can do there is like very easy little things that they can do um and it, and it doesn't have to be monetary is the other thing like the way they've gone about this is like they think the only way to create stakes is through money and this they that's not you don't have to do that you can straight create stakes through rewards in other way and also competitiveness right like none of these guys want to win they do they would i imagine somebody would be like yeah i i won the west coast swing this year yeah there's a reigning link season champion that could be a way you do the link season like there's a lot of flexibility that that format affords so i'd be into it it's adding a layer of context into something that doesn't have it It, it's additive Mm -hmm. all right any parting thoughts joseph on the nba stuff no i don't think on the nba stuff maybe one other uh different league that i wanted to plant a seed all right i I don't think that the crossover between golf fans and, and UFC is super strong. But well, you're wearing a UFC sweatshirt. It's perfect well, branding for tonight. Exactly. There is a big card on Saturday. I'm not paid. This is not an ad. I think everyone at some point on a big card, a big pay-per-view card, it, it's violent and some people are opposed to that. But if you watch it, I think there are some compelling lessons in broadcasts, how engaging it is, some things for the PGA Tour to adopt. It's an unbelievable presentation, and the people I've recommended it to, they generally like have a lot of takeaways from watching it. So the one this Saturday is amazing, and I think at some point there are some lessons to be learned from how that sport presents itself. I admittedly am not a UFC guy, um, but thinking about the sport, there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of like sparring until the big moments, kind of like golf, right? It's pretty exciting, though. Those those moments are exciting, and, and yeah, it doesn't feel slow. It doesn't feel like the second hole. It, it's quick the whole time because action could stop at any point. But I also think one cool thing about it, and it is pay-per-view, but it all feels wrapped up into one good show versus like all the commercials are baked into it. It doesn't feel like you're changing networks and that it just feels disjointed when you're watching a golf broadcast versus this feels like one elegant, clean presentation. I think people will learn a lot from watching it. So uh, it's violent, but that is a recommendation. All right. So they don't jump out to like uh, Bob Parsons yelling. No, seriously, though. And when good action's happening, you don't have to worry about them playing through or fighting through. Um, all right. Well, good tip. I don't know if I'm going to be jumping on, but you know, if I, if you, if you wrote up in your newsletter, this is a good way to segue in. Um, uh, if uh, your newsletter, finding the edge, a sub stack, uh, it's free. It's wonderful. Maybe you could weave in some stuff in there and I'll get the cliff notes <laughs> version of it. And, uh, I, I don't have the nerve to tell them, say to my wife, you know what? Like, Hey, we aren't doing something. I know I've worked 13 straight days because of the open championship. We're not doing something Saturday night. I'm buying this fight on you for this UFC fight. So 
with that in mind, if you write it up, I'll I gladly read it. And thank you for uh, all your contributions to the Fried Egg uh, and Club TFE and this podcast. But people can follow you on Twitter, Instagram, uh, and then also your Substack. Thanks for having me. This was fun. I'm glad we agreed on a lot of stuff. It doesn't always go that way. No, no. This was uh, this was a very uh, agreeable podcast here. So, all right, Joseph. Thanks, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Friday Podcast. Today's episode was edited by Meg Atkins. Meg, thank you. And welcome back to the editing chair for a, for a little guest appearance here. Um, as a quick reminder, we've got Club TFE humming. Uh, there was just a video that was released that I thought was delightful. Cameron Hurtis uh, put it together. It was uh, an interview with Tom Doak with all about how he routed Ballyneal. Um, amazing visuals between maps, um, some sketches, and then Tom telling a, just a, a succinct, great story about routing it. So we do a monthly member video in Club TFE. That just released for the month of July. Obviously, if you if you join, you can go read and see all the backlog of, of member videos. Um, and uh, if, you, if you're interested, go to thefriedegg.com slash membership. It's $120 for the year, and it's really the best way to support us. Thank you, and we will be back next week with a couple new episodes of The Fried Egg. I'll have an architecture interview, uh, which I'm quite excited about. So thank you. 